Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today you have Jake and Seth per usual, and we are going to be discussing the 1995 action buddy cop masterpiece, <laughs> Bad Boys, by what I believe is first time movie director Michael Bay. This was his yeah, first theatrical debut. Yeah. Theatrical debut starring Martin Lawrence and Will Smith as the leads with little Teo Leone and Chucky Cario in there, too. Huh? But with that don't forget about old Joey Pants. Oh, can't forget about Joey Pants. And there are a couple other, uh, they sneak a couple other stars in here. Marge Hellenber- Hel- Helgenberger, um, Michael Imperioli, there's someone else I'm blanking out. Oh, Kim Coates. There's a good good little cast here. Um, but with that okay. being said, I'm going to throw it right to you, Seth. Seth, bad boys. Were, were you a bad boy or a good boy? When you saw this movie, what were um, your thoughts? When this movie came out, like at the time it came out, it was a hot movie. There's no denying it. I think the confluence of Michael Bay coming out of the MTV music video scene working with all kinds of stars, and then Will Smith, the Fresh Prince, uh, sort of turning from, you know, young boyish star of a TV show into more of like a leading male uh, for a film. And then also Martin Lawrence, kind of peak Martin Lawrence in terms of his stand-up game, I want to say. Uh, I, I want to, like, I feel, I feel like that special You So Crazy came out, like, in the early 90s. This, and, is, like, all, he was, this is also in the middle yeah. of Martin, his, like, peak on TV. He's got, like, yeah, a very successful true. Yeah, sitcom. Yeah, TV show as well. And so it's, like, I, the three of them being the primaries, and, like, all three of them are really in their early primes, like, all three in their early 90s primes. And so, like, the combination of that made this movie particularly spicy, I think, to the public. Yeah, it's kind of like the 96 Yankees, like, with, like, Mariano, Pepeta, and the Jeter. Like, they're young, but they're really good. And, like, right off the bat, they're very good. It shows too that like some of the inexperienced shows, but it's sort of covered up with just all the exuberance and uh, <laughs> and energy that they have. I remember this was one of the first, not one of the first uh, videos that I had, like VHSs, but this is one of the first ones that I remember because I was around 10 or 11 when this came out on VHS. And I remember watching this. I must have burned it out. Like I watch this all the time. I know we talk about this a lot. But to me, like the rewatchability for this movie, I actually think it was even covered on rewatchables recently. We normally don't do that, making an exception here because it's. Uh, oh, I didn't even realize that. Um, maybe they did. Actually, I'm sorry. I think they were talking about Armageddon, and then they kind of dove into the Michael Bay combo. But um, <laughs> I just love this movie, and like definitely upon looking back on it, I don't want to say something's aged poorly. Maybe he uses goes the same tool one too many times, but I just remember loving the slow-mo in this and it was almost looking back on it it's like almost as if he reinvented (laughs) slow-mo like because i just remember that was one of the things it was in all the trailers i felt like it got like a lot of the big when i watched it was a lot of slow-mo and Um, it was it was well used but i was just saying i i liked it i thought it was well done and i remember (laughs) like from the onset it's not the deepest story but it's a movie about it's a buddy cop movie so it's about their chemistry the Taylor Leona character brings that right, like third heat, to kind of mix it up and like put them both on their feet. Good villain, awesome action, and it's just like we talk about like eighties, nineties, modern. This was a pure nineties action film. I feel like this was the modern one. Like, definitely, it's very nineties in the way. Like, Heat is kind of like a very nineties movie, but Bad Boys is sort of like the counterpoint to that. I think, which is like a movie that doesn't take itself that seriously. I would it's also say, steeped in nineties <laughs> Agreed. It's a little bit apples and oranges, but I agree. I think the way I look at it is like, cause they're both mid nineties. It's almost like the passing of the torch. It's like for better or yeah. worse, it goes from these like bigger 
I don't want to say headier crime movies, but there are like, Shakespearean or something. Exactly. Yeah. Like this is after yeah. the Godfathers. Like there's like, there've been a lot of good big crime movies and they'd be kind of kick up a notch, like to the action level it kind of goes from action thriller to just full on action. I might be getting out, out in front of my skis here with this, but there's definitely a lot of parallels between the two, but I think looking at Bayes, I'm not saying this is a better movie than he certainly not. I, I wouldn't say that. But I will say I this: say it's a little, more, it, but it's more forward-looking. I think there's, yeah. a, there, I, there's a more dynamic female who's actually like one of the leads, and they have more more minorities. So I, I think it's a little more forward-thinking. What sort of struck me on rewatching it because I hadn't actually seen this movie unedited, like front to back, in a long time. I realized I'd seen pieces of it on cable for you know years, I guess. But it's like I never seen the R-rated version beginning to end, like just sitting and watching it. And what kind of struck me the most, I think, is how much it draws on movies like 48 Hours and Beverly Hills Cop and kind of puts its own spin on those movies. And then it also, like, I would say, you know, we watched True Lies recently, and I found the action sequences in True Lies to be much better and much more engaging and exciting. And I found a lot of the action sequences in this bad boy is to be not as, like sort of breathtaking, I guess. And uh, there was a lot of, like you said, slow-mo and driving stuff. And there's a lot of like banter of Will Smith and Martin Lawrence inside a car that's going really fast. But like, I didn't think any of the stunts or anything were like, uh, you know, maybe this is just because I watched, you know, True Lies recently, which is a really good James Cameron movie. But it's like, I actually thought that the action sequences weren't that um, impressive. And I could remember sequences from other Michael Bay movies that I thought were more impressive and stuff. So, on rewatch, I realized it was. It, I felt like the movie uh, succeeded a lot more in like atmosphere, using Miami as the setting, and like the chemistry between Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. And it wasn't actually the action sequences that were blowing me away. That's interesting. And what I liked about what you said there was, well, I'll touch on the action scene shortly. But the chemistry, I love that you mentioned Forty Eight Hours because one of the big things about buddy cop movies, whether it's Forty Eight Hours. Lethal Weapon. Uh, yeah, the, the, it's usually there's a tension there, and it's usually because they're it, it's the the odd couple. It's a mismatch. And what yeah. I love about this and the whole movie is like them meeting, like they're forced together. There's a, a fun. There's a cop meet cute through some violent crime, and then they have to yeah, solve yeah. it together. Tango and Cash. <laughs> all those and they, that's kind of the '80s thing. But I feel like what I love about this one is there's still tension between the two leads, but he goes about it in a much different way. Instead of having them be new to each other, it's their best friends, and it's the tension that you'd have between like your brother, or the tension right. you have with your best friend when you're around each other for a long time. Or I think what they're going for is the tension in a marriage. Honestly, is the same as the partnership. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and that's definitely what it is. And it's interesting now that you say that 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 puts it in full clear view. And you're hundred percent right because it is their partnership. And really, we'll get into the series in a bit. The series is about how their relationship evolves too. It's it's. I think you could, there's. It works on multiple levels. You can look at it just as a friendship. You can look at it as a, a treatise on marriage. I, and I think, right, right. not saying it's super deep, but it's one of the things that I think works for the film. And in terms of the action scenes, I, it's so funny you said that because I remember really liking them. And upon rewatch, I still, I liked them, but I didn't remember them as well as I, as I thought I did, if that makes sense. For example... I used to love. I think the the highway chase scene where they're throwing the uh, the barrels the barrels yeah. out. It still works, but it's more about feel. Like it's to your point, it's it's Lawrence and Will Smith and Tia Leone yelling at each other, trying to figure it out. It's like the yeah, yeah. it's the character. 
you probably have to put me back on track here. It's more about the characters and the action scenes and the humor and drama he can derive from like actual dialogue, whether it's Martin Lawrence diving to save his wife. One of the things I love is the shootout in the hotel. Sorry, jumping ahead to the end here. But there's a, the bad guys find out where they're hiding and they like, as they just are all walking out. There's And as they're walking out in the lobby, all these bad guys walk in and there's this cool scene and it's you get to see Will Smith and Martin Lawrence react as like all the bad guys are about to open fire. And it sounds so weird saying it, but it's it's not only it's great acting by them, but the drama there, it's not a cool action scene, but you it works because you feel the danger or you you feel scared for those characters or the woman they're with. And it's not, again, not done in a, in a very effective, great action way, but it still works. It's more about feeling than opposed, like it's not a technically, it's not the, they're not technically sound action scenes, but they work before like the music, the style, and ultimately like, I the, agree the that e- the ether barrel scenes, probably one of the better ones in the movie, honestly, like, uh, in my memory, though, there was like this movie was full of like action scenes that I like were eye popping. But that might just because I saw this when I was like a- eleven a lot, and I don't like have a clear memory of it. But re- having watched it last night, it was clear to me as like the action was. I mean, and again, like I remember we went through the we watched the Matrix recently too, and I was like, there's sequences in the Matrix that uh, I mean far superior to what's going on in this movie. But that it's like, I mean. I think we've been spoiled. I honestly think we've been spoiled with action. Because the one thing I'll say, too, is his next movie was The Rock. And The Rock action scenes hold up. Like, those are, like, that is still a great movie. And I was, yeah, it's like, it's not a, it's not really a slight on May. Because it's like, this is the theatrical debut. Um, He's just trying to, like, sort of make it work, I guess. Um, But, yeah, I was going to, you know, The Rock, to me, is sort of like the, probably hit Bay's best movie for several reasons. But, uh, th- like I think what works for him in Bad Boys is really like making Miami work, and like there's also I realize there's a lot of like Miami Vice in this movie. It's kind of like a black Miami Vice in a weird way, um, and I think that like that is appealing to people. People like just like the cool setting with a dangerous job and just like wearing cool clothes and driving fast cars and like all that kind of stuff works. I also think you know Bay, the the directors he really is influenced the most by is like Spielberg, James Cameron and Tony Scott. And I like, I almost think Tony's he's like 60% Tony Scott, like 20% James Cameron and like 10% Spielberg or something. I think that's but a the, good, that, that's a good makeup of him. <laughs> yeah. And I think like Tony Scott, it's like rapid editing, rapid cutting and always showing like big machinery and big like vehicles with large engines and stuff. And like always playing, Always letting just like the 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 actual props sort of like be their value. So like if you have helicopters or if you have like speedy things, it's like just let that happen. Let the train be the train. Like don't try to like upstage it or whatever. And so you know, I think Bay's coming out of that kind of school, and this is sort of his first attempt to blend it all. And it's like there's stuff that's working, and then I think there's stuff that's like he hasn't quite figured out yet. But I think in The Rock and like Armageddon. And he, like, I think that his first four movies are Bad Boys, The Rock, Armageddon, Pearl Harbor. And I think Armageddon, Pearl Harbor is when he starts to go overboard. The Rock, to me, was the right mix of, like, all that stuff. I don't know. What's your take? I agree entirely. And the way I look at it is he's one of these directors. This is something Beagle Mortensen said about Peter Jackson once they had bigger budgets and he could rely more on CGI than practical effects. His first two movies 
And I'm sorry, I wasn't being, I didn't mean to be critical. The action scenes are fine. They're just for Michael Bay and remembering how big a movie this was, they didn't hold up as well as I thought they would. Yeah, exactly. But, um, oh my Lord, I just lost my train of thought. What were we just talking about? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, sort of bad boys, the rock, Armageddon from Oh, I'm sorry. Michael it was the Bay. CGI. So sorry. The CGI, the thing that, the Rock has some CGI, but a lot of the action set pieces are practical set pieces. But then with Pearl Harbor, it moves heavily to CGI. And then he goes to Transformers. And I like the first one. And what's funny is the Transformers, I think, have great action, but awful story. And he's never been known. Like the 10% Spielberg, some of his movies, to me, that's the more story, like whimsical side. That's not his forte. And I feel like as he's gone deeper and deeper into CGI, he... It doesn't work for him for whatever reason. I I, I can probably explain well, that, that later. Like, but the practical effects, like The Rock, has very little special effects, and it's awesome. I totally agree. Yeah, I think he's best at doing big practical effects. You know, and the The Rock has that kind of stuff where it's like they've got rocket jets, they got like military stuff, they do scuba diving, they do all this stuff where he he can just show off like military aspects of things, and you just let that speak for itself, and you don't need CGI or anything. But I was going to ask you. Like, the movie where Bay sort of, he leaves the Transformers thing for a second, and he makes pain and gain. And that's a movie where he kind of, like, leaves the CGI behind and he tries to go back to making a story. He goes back to Miami. It's like a setting he's he's familiar with. And that movie, uh, I mean, pretty mixed, I guess, most people. I was not blown away by it. I don't know. What was your take on pain and gain? Pretty sure it's one of the few movies I didn't finish. And I didn't see it in theaters. I didn't walk out of it. But this was a movie that was on Netflix or something at some point. And I remember turning it on and I never finished it. It just didn't captivate me. I thought the story, the actual story was cool. But the problem for me was I knew I knew the actual story going into it. And I did not like the way he was portraying Mark Wahlberg, Dwayne Johnson, and Anthony Mackie. Yeah. It, it didn't vibe with me. And then maybe I did finish it. I can't even remember if I finished it or not. I didn't like it. I didn't like it, and if I did finish it, I don't even remember. I, I was just so... I, It was sort of like... Oh, it was a weird movie. It was kind of like Michael Bay tried to make a Goodfellas with Jim... Uh, Jim Rats. Yeah, with Jim Rats, exactly. And it was like... But they were out of control. Yeah, I mean, it was just... I remember that was the movie where I was like, oh, he's finally kind of done his Transformers thing. Now maybe he's going back to making, like... Maybe he'll make another The Rock or whatever. And I was like, yeah, that wasn't, it wasn't what I expected, I guess. I think the problem, this is, was supposed to be a dark comedy. That's very hard to do, even for good comedians. And no offense to Michael Bay. He does not, he has a little comedy in his movies, but he is not a comedy director. And I think the problem with this was he, he tried to lean in the comedy aspect a little too much for me. And again, knowing what they did to this poor man in real life, these like actual, <laughs> it's awful. I, I just, for me, that was in the back of my head the whole time. And I'm, I'm normally not like that, but what bothered me is this was something that actually happened, and he was, again, and to my opinion, glorifying these sadists in a way that, to me, just didn't vibe. But that's that I movie. Agree. We'll bring it back to Bad Boys. Um, the one that being said, I think the humor in like Bad Boys, The Rock, Armageddon, I think Bay does have this sort of subtle humor that's actually pretty good in those early movies. It does, but it almost feels, I, and when I say incidental... It's part. It's not the. It's not the spine of any scene or of the film. The yeah. And also the one speaking about the humor. One of the things in the notes, at least on Wikipedia, 
Bay did not like the script for Bad Boys, and apparently he had a lot of improvis. He encouraged improv- improvisation between Smith and Lawrence. Uh, like for example, he had Smith call Lawrence a bitch before the opening car scene, where Lawrence goes crazy and he's like, "Oh, two bitches in the sea." And there, like, there are a bunch of examples here. Like some of the funniest lines were the two of them, uh, him encouraging the two of them to improvise, or him being like, "You guys will improvise this scene," and then giving one of them advice to set the other off to get what he wanted. So with that being said, he, I know he's not really a writer, so it's hard for me to put all the, he can do comedy, but I guess what I was saying with, I think to your, if he do, if he's doing comedy, it should never be more than 20% of a movie. Cause when it goes over that, if it's more than 20%, if you're to me, then, then it's not like an action comedy or romantic comedy. It's a comedy, something else. And when you're building yeah, a movie you. on the comedy aspect, you need to do yeah. it really well. And if you're doing a dark comedy, that's even harder. And I think that's where he failed with that other film. But I'm sorry. Bring it back to that. Bad, Bad Boys is probably the only one I might. I mean, I'd probably call it an action comedy. But I think it's of all the movies, except maybe Pain and Gain, which you might call a comedy, I guess. But like Bad Boys, I think you could legitimately call it comedy just because you have Martin Lawrence there. 100%. You, you could definitely put that. But to me, that's what I say, like, incidental. I don't think this movie, this doesn't have the bones of a comedy. It's more of an action comedy. And I, th- I would say yeah. that it ends up becoming, you could ge- say it's a comedy because of Lawrence and Smith and their chemistry and what they bring to the table. That's, I think that's definitely the chemistry they have in their improving and stuff. Is the, their banter and everything is the best part of the movie. It's what's sort of the most watchable part, I think. Um, I was a little mixed on Taylor Leone. I kind of really? felt like, yeah, I kind of felt like the first... Uh, prostitute i think her name is maxine or something yeah Max. that she, she i felt like they should have flipped roles um i also another thing i found to be very funny is like they don't really say it in the movie but it's like will smith is like this swaggering single man and he like knows this prostitute max who seems to be really into him and then like she ends up going to this party on the auspices sort of looking for information for will smith she ends up dying Will Smith sees the corpse and he like realizes that like he kind of put her in this situation and I was just kind of like it was just a weird uh, I mean Will Smith tries to play it emotionally I guess but it's like from the viewer's part it's like you had sex with a prostitute and now you feel bad about it I don't know they kind of try to sweep past that plot point I think I will say this I've seen it <laughs> I'd seen it between now and 1996 or whenever so I knew she was a prostitute but it's something like you don't really remember and then they yeah the dynamics of their relationship is interesting did he I'm assuming he doesn't pay her or he does I just well it might, here's my theory because I actually ended up thinking about this for way too long I was sort of like I think she's a prostitute but I think she like got down with Will Smith you know for no charge because she's just into him because he's like Will Smith and so, like, he did her once, but now he's just using her for information because he's a good cop. So it's, like, one of those things where it's, like, hey, if you give me more info, maybe I'll, like, jump back in bed with you. Like, he's trying to be the prostitute to her now. You see what I'm saying? That works. That works. Are you, have, you ever, have you ever heard the, uh, the phrase, the girlfriend in the fridge? Um, I don't know if I'm familiar with that. So, so where that comes from, it comes from comic books. I'm not a huge DC guy, but uh, there's this famous thing. I think it was with Green Lantern. It was either Green Lantern or Flash. I'm sorry. I should, seeing as how I'm telling the story, I should know which one. But it was, either the, it was one of the two of them. I think it might have been Flash. Long story short, 
in the comics, he had a girlfriend or wife for years, a uh, girlfriend that was a big character, and they kill her off and stuff her in a fridge. And like that's how, like very abruptly. And they do it solely to introduce a new evil villain, quote unquote, and to add, to give the Flash, to give him something to fight for. The idea there, though, it's not a positive thing. It's considered a really misogynistic tool because the readership, this was a character that was really well developed. It's not, again, not apples and oranges, but the idea here is, is sacrificing a good female character to give the protagonist or a protagonist some revenge right. then. And while that's a common story trope, when you're saying girlfriend in the fridge, it's kind of more, it's meant as a criticism or a detraction. And where I'm going with this is he wants, Michael Bay wants us to have that connection of this is someone he cares about. But then again, the relationship is so ambiguous. Like, was she a prostitute? Was she a CI? Was, was there something in between? And, yeah. and you still feel it, it works, but, and it works, but I guess where I'm going with this is I, they were looking for them already. I get that that made it personal. I just think it's kind of a, it's an easy way to generate that like revenge tension. It was, it was, a, I don't know. I, I, it's like, it's sort of the first emotional scene that Will Smith has to do in the movie, but it's like the whole time I'm thinking about what was your actual relationship with this woman? And like, how, you know, what, what, you know, it could have been anything from like, they were actually like close to like, uh, they had just like, you know, met a couple, you know, I don't know. It's like, who, who knows what the real relationship was, but it's like, it's, it's, it's a movie where it's like the pace is flying by so quickly that, you know, it's like, you don't linger on it too long. Were there any other things you want to discuss in terms of like dislikes or gripes? Um, well, <laughs> I think we should. I think we should talk about Joey Pants for a second. Yeah, let's talk about the pants. Is should he have been playing that at a twelve? <laughs> yes, I, I think Entire it works. Movie? You think that works? I think it works because. It's a bit of a stereotype, the screaming boss of the police. You know, it's just like they do it in Lethal Weapon. They do it in uh, Beverly Hills Cop. You know, they got that guy in there. It's just like there's always this guy at the station screaming at the detectives. It is, but I think what they do with him is they do give him a little bit of that paternal vibe too. And and it's, he feels more like a parent. And the other ones, it feels like a drill sergeant yelling at him. And with this one, at least to me, sometimes it, it he's almost pleading with him at times. It's a, it's a fair gripe that he is 100% off the chain. What I was trying to think of is if I didn't know who Joey Pants was, which I'm, a lot of people don't, but if I didn't know who he was, would I still find it funny? Or like, would I still find it entertaining? I guess it's still like, it's like it comes off as funny. The way I look at him is to me, he's the audience. It's the when Marvel makes fun <laughs> of themselves. Or, to me, he's the guy in that scene who's when, when they're blowing up half of Miami, that what, how else would a police chief act when two of his p- guys are caught on the news, blowing up a bridge. Like I, that was the other thing I was going to bring up too. It's like at the end of this movie, it should be like, they, they kill the guy and they walk him back and Joe pants comes up. And it's like, well, you caught the guy, but half of Miami burned down and everyone's going to sue you. So we'll see you guys later. <laughs> so, I don't know if you remember this, but there was this crime that occurred in Manhattan uh, shortly after we graduated school. So this is probably like early 2010s. 
And okay. the crime itself is awful. Some disgruntled employee walked up and shot like a security guard or something. He was an ex-security guard, walked up, shot a security guard at, at, at a building. And so the, the shooter flees, puts his gun away, flees. Awful. It gets worse because then cops follow him and open fire into the street and hit like eight or nine civilians. Oh, no. And they don't even, before killing the guy, and it's not like, oh, it, it takes a while. A lot of people were hurt. And the whole idea that was when this happened, the entire city was just like, why? Like, why are you opening fire into crowds of people? Like, one person just died. Why do you kill 20? You want to kill 20 more to stop one? And it's and it wasn't one cop. It was multiple cops opening fire into the crowd. And they said what happened was, what happened? Some cop, dumbass cop, opened fire. And so all the other cops thought the criminal was firing. So oh, yeah. that, so they were all overreacting. And they were in the heat of the battle of the moment. Where I'm going with this is cops should never open fire in public especially when there's innocent bystanders around or in clubs or in car chases when there's civilians around. And where I'm going with this is these two cops, if they were real, would be terrorists. Like they would be considered terrorists. Like they actually, at one point in the second film, they do blow up Cuba. So yeah, the bad boys too. It's like a whole other level of just like uh, collateral damage. But it's like bad boys three takes it up another notch. Although they don't destroy countries, but it's like they're more like superheroes than ever. It's just sort of like at some point the the collateral damage has to equate to like whoever you're going at. Like at some point, what you're doing has to be worse than a, or as Trump likes to say, the solution can't be worse than the cure. Well, uh, <laughs> the old Watchman adage: uh, Be careful that you. Do, what's it? Oh, when you fight monsters, be careful that you do not become one. Right, exactly. And well, and it's like I don't know if they like I don't think they become monsters, but like once you're you know blowing up ether barrels on the highway, you're in trouble. Or I mean, you're doing a lot. I don't know. When you're blowing up a fifty million dollar bridge for uh, to put like three gangbangers away, I think. <laughs> When you could just follow them without shooting to wherever they were and bust them, maybe that's a better way. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but with all that being said, like, I don't go into this movie and I don't actually care about the realism. I'm not. It doesn't bother that's me. It, it doesn't bother me. I'm just calling out that these. If these two people were real, I think they'd be shot by cops. They would also get tons of cops killed and they're like crazy shootouts and stuff. That's not a real gripe. I feel bad even kind of like calling that a gripe, but. It is what it is. Yeah, it's yeah. It's not it's not meant to be super realistic, but it's still it's hard to not think about it at times. Let's talk about Taya Leone here for a minute. So sure. I know we I know we kind of touched on her briefly before. I actually really like her in the role. I will say this: I think there was probably a better choice, and I don't mean that in a mean way. I wondered if like if there were other people up for that part. Yeah, would you want to look that up? Because because uh, I'll give you my little thing on her. I like her. I think she works in that. She's she's very pretty, but what's funny is I thought Max, her friend, was like more traditionally beautiful. And even the yeah. first time seeing it, I didn't expect the Taylor Leone character to, to survive initially when she did. What I like to really appreciate about it was I thought she had really good um, chemistry with Martin Lawrence. And a lot of the movies, the two of them having this uh, 
Martin Lawrence is pretending to be Mike Lowry, who, although she's never met, has heard about them. And the two characters are played very differently. So she's very suspicious. And there's this, it's smart and clever because while there's this big crime going on, there's also a mini mystery and it's Taya Leone's character trying to figure out which one of them is Mike Lowry. And it's, uh, and and it's funny. And I give her, I like her as an actress. I know she has her show, Madame Secretary, but one of the things I was thinking was, uh, why wasn't she in more? But now that I say that, maybe you just answer the question. If you're not digging her, it, it can make sense. Well, I mean, she's not terrible. She's a very specific sort of actress, I guess. Um, I think, like, this is a weird thing to say, but I think the biggest, like, she comes across as very white, like, very waspy, Caucasian to me, but in a, in a weird way, where it's like, uh, oh, and it's like, uh, <laughs> Uh, she was married to David Duchovny too, and I always think about that. And Tim Daly. Like, yeah, um, I don't know if anyone else, but like, I'm sure other people were up at this part. I can't see uh, from what I'm looking at, but like, I could totally see like uh, like half a dozen. I you know Kim Basinger, Sharon Stone, any of those. Uh, you know Nicole Kidman. I think any of those mid '90s uh, <laughs> white actresses could have like filled in that role or whatever. <laughs> um, but I think like. Um, sorry, I lost where I was going. No worries, no worries. So I'm just looking at her <laughs> thing right now. I forgot she was she had this TV show which I knew her from, The Naked Truth, because I actually think I watched so much TV when I was younger. I actually think that's where I first knew her from. I remember in a movie. I think I remember in a Sandler movie called Spanglish, where she's like the mom. Or something. Yes, that's a. I actually like that movie. That that was a good role for her. She she kind of had that right manic energy. Yeah, yeah she does that have a role manic. She fit in. You're right. She does have kind of an energy. It's a little uptight. She's like a, a manic might be too much, but it's an it's a tight yeah. energy. It's like just very mm. like a lot of yeah. She's got some anxiety to her, kind of like a brunette Meg Ryan or something. <laughs> I was gonna say um, I did see that um, the two leads were originally meant for Eddie Murphy and Wesley Snipes. What Whoa. do you think that movie would have been like? Not as good. <laughs> I think if you, it's just different. If it was '80s Wesley Murphy and Wesley Snipes, maybe it works better. That was Nine, exa- like '95 Murphy and Snipes. I don't think so. That was exactly what I was going to say because in '95 they're both they've both done the action thing. It, it, to me, it would feel yeah. more that would feel more like Lethal Weapon. I'm too old for this shit. And yeah, yeah. I also, if you bring them in, not saying this movie is great because of the story. But then it's like an Eddie Murphy vehicle or a Snipes vehicle. It's it's really about them. And what I think works about this movie and why they're still making these movies now is they were both big back then, but they weren't A-list yet. And this kind of bumped them up to, to the right. A-list. I, yeah, all three of them. Uh, yeah. To, it's like, yeah, where it's like, that's really what you want uh, on a movie like this, where it's like all of them kind of came in as known people, but weren't A-list, and the, the movie made all of them A-list. So it's like regardless of like whether you really like the movie, like it achieved what they were trying to do. What I I'm also just thinking of the production. I know this was later on, but Wesley Snipes, like ten years later, was a terror on Blade Three. I'm just thinking. I know they're both big personalities. They actually worked on Dolomite. They had good chemistry there. That's yeah, gonna that's be a great true. what if. That's gonna be a great what if. I like that. <laughs> um, Wait, we got to talk about the villain, my boy. I'm going to totally no butcher this. I forgot about that guy. Uh, viewers, and by viewers, I mean Jay. Please excuse my friend's pronunciation. 
Uh, but Chucky Cario, uh, he great. He was in The Patriot, great movie. He was also oh, he's currently right. he in Baptiste. Um, but in this film, he plays the villain. I think his name's Fouché. But he is awesome. I loved him in this. He is. He doesn't. He does something really hard. He's not a big guy. He's not muscular. He's not really even good looking. He's kind of this like. I don't want to be mean here, but he's an impish looking man. But he has. He's like voice. He has such a charisma and like gravitas. I think he's terrifying in this and the whole scene where he makes Max dance and it's in slow motion before he shoots her. It's I I'll say this. They don't do give him a lot of backstory, but what parts I see of him, I understand why all of these criminals are terrified of him. And I understand why like a cartel drug dealer boss who he's dealing with in the end. I understand that this man is a dangerous man from what I can get yeah. from him and the way he carries himself. I think you're right. He, that guy does, he is a understated, uh, he's a pretty good actor. Like he, he really does get across like the, he's been able to be pretty scary for uh, the limited time he has. The one thing I kind of wish they did with that character is just sort of explain. I don't really know what's going on with all, like uh, with all the drugs and everything. It's like, I understand that these hookers showed up to a, like a drug party they weren't supposed to. And this guy was like wasting cocaine. That was part of like some score they had made. So the, the bad guy shoots them all, takes the drugs. Taylor is the witness that escapes the rest of the movie. I guess he's trying to sell the drugs. And then the end is like that big meetup for him to sell them. I'm a little, I was just like a little confused as to why he's like, the mo- the rest of the movie was they had a set date to sell the drugs, and that's why he got mad at Eddie, because the one thing, he was just like, don't do anything for these next few days until the drugs right. are gone. And so when he found out Eddie was having a party, he went there. And so, yeah, the, the, the tension of the film is him and trying to so, close yeah, that And it's like end. he has to kill all the witnesses and, like, make the, the drug date or whatever. But, like always, the irony is if he had just left her alone, they never would have found him, and he probably would have gotten away with it. Not that, not that this is supposed to be a, be a morality play or a fable, but uh, but it was interesting about the character, and I I, I liked him, and, it, and it's hard to pinpoint any one thing, but for me, he doesn't have a lot of scenes going up against Smith and Lawrence in this. That's true. But at the same time, they're bringing a lot of charisma. We've talked a lot about their chemistry and their presence. He is bringing everything he needs to in that counterweight, for them to go up against. Like this is a movie that has a villain that can match the, he can match the heroes. The villain can match the heroes in terms of presence. And to me, those are the best movies. I just think of Magneto and the X-Men films, the good ones at least, or Thanos and the Avengers. It's you need a villain who's worthy of, of the hero. I think, yeah, I would say the guy, um, I would compare it to is, um, uh, I'm blanking on the actor, but the, the villain in Die Hard. Oh, one. Alan Rickman, Hans yes, Gruber. Alan Rickman, the late Alan Rickman. Uh, great that, actor. that was great actor. He, he really uh, was. Awesome. I think he, he's he to me is sort of like the pinnacle of that. Like you don't have a lot of screen time. You're kind of a foreigner, and you got to be really evil. And it, like it sounds like such a trope, but it's like Rickman was able to really like sort of like do a lot with it. And so I think everyone's kind of chasing that one. <laughs> he gave it a style, and that's probably too broad a word. Maybe panache is a better word, but he he brought he gave it. Maybe sophistication is a better word, and that's something that the Checky Cario had to. There was like a level of professionalism almost that yeah, a, yeah exactly like standard, and anything below that standard was just too much. And one of the things 
don't get me wrong, the Chuck Carrio character is a complete psychopath. But when he when he kills Max, even that scene, he's like dance for me, and he's very and he gets very calm and soft and quiet. And those are my favorite villains. That he's not loud and boisterous. He's his most dangerous when he's trying to act nice, and like you can feel it in the film. Everyone in the room knows because of how he was acting before. The second he starts speaking nicely, that's when you're in trouble. And I've said this before. I love polite villains and especially like demeanor, like when they're really evil, but they're more polite or have manners. I just love it. Cause it's the, I think it's like this cool contrast. They're, they're doing awful things, but they feel the need to obey this weird social norm of saying like, please, or thank you or speaking nicely as they're I about think, to kill someone. Yeah. I think Hannibal Lecter is kind of the epitome of that where it's like, he's the most intelligent, <laughs> polite person you can meet. And he also will eat your liver and stuff. So. Yeah. Very. I, I, I think it, I think to me, I, I'm, you put that perfectly. And I think what I like about that is just that the irony of it. And it's almost, it almost feels mocking. Like the villain is like, I'm going to do something awful. Oh, but, but thank you. Like it's just it, to me, it, and I think that just gives a, a sinister little twist to them, and that's one of the reasons why I like this character. Does it? I, I I agree. I think that villain he's probably the most underrated part of the formula that like kind of made this movie work. I I think it's the biggest thing that's been lacking from the the rest of the bad boys films. I don't think anyone will be like that's this a good is one point. of the greatest yeah, trilogies yeah. of all time. But the the I also felt like the sequel like. Uh, Bad Boys to me is a very Miami-based thing, and the sequel kind of like went out into like Haiti or something. Cuba. And I was just like, or Cuba, yeah. I was just kind of like, can we get back to like South Beach? The problem, we won't go to Bad Boys 3 either, but Bay has a general problem with escalation. As a fan of the original Transformers film, he, he has a very difficult time to bring it back to the Avengers films. Uh, in Captain America, one of the best things in Captain America Civil War, one of the best things that they do is they go really big for the middle action sequence, but then they make it tight. And it's a very personal, intimate finale with just three characters or four in this like very tight battle. And the idea there is is when the way the Russos talk about it is escalation doesn't always need to be like physical and setting. Sometimes it can be emotional. And Michael Bay, I'm sorry, does not fully understand that. And so for him, like, this is a movie about escalation. They blow up on Miami. So in, that, in the next one, he has to blow up Cuba. Well, and it's like, the guy who's good at the escalation thing is James Cameron. Like, he's the one that knows how to top this, then top that, and then, like, have a big topper for your movie. And it's like, I think Bay's trying to do that. Like, he clearly comes out of that, you know. Cameron, I think, was a huge influence for him, especially this, you know, 95. It's like, you're coming off T2 in all these movies, you know? A hundred percent. The thing, though, is... And we've talked about this before. They can have huge action sequences and you're still getting like character development. It's like the, it's not just a big action sequence. And then the story continues. Like there's telling a story through it. I'm sorry. Cameron can do that. I'm sorry. Right. Bay, yeah. I think Bay has these awesome action sequences, but I think for me when watching his films and thinking of this one, the characters aren't progressing through the 10 minute action sequence. And I know that feels weird to say that, but like where I'm going with this is again, just to go back to Captain America, civil war and that middle fight scene, you've got a bunch of things happening in that sequence, whether it's Ant-Man showing a new power, whether it's Captain America fighting, like fighting black Panther or black Panther having his own moment with, um, Bucky and talking about their like their revenge angle. There's a scene between 
Scarlett Johansson and Jeremy Renner and their characters and talk about their friendship, how this fight's going to affect their friendship. And so you have these cool action set pieces. And throughout the whole thing, you have Spider-Man having these fun introductions as he's fighting these like cool characters. And the whole point of that is it's this awesome action sequence, but things are happening within it. And so I guess from start, it's like you start at you're at my you're at point A with the with a in a good movie, you're at point A, and then the action scene starts, and then you're at point B. Like you've moved to the next point. I think sometimes with Bay, it's like you have this, oh, Marcus and uh Mike are mad at each other. Oh, Taya doesn't know to trust them. That's before the fight scene. There's a huge shootout. And then after the fight scene, they're exactly the same way they were before. Like there's just been violence, but the story hasn't actually progressed and the characters right. haven't developed. It's just like, it's like action yeah. for the sake of action. Exactly. Yeah. I end up like, he really loses himself with that kind of stuff in the Transformers series and everything. But like, oh my there's God. That, that's definitely, I think that's probably his biggest problem is sort of like making his set action, action sequences like actually matter. Or like develop the character within the action. It's hard for him to like he he loses himself in technicalities, I think, and then he kind of he relies a lot. I mean, not to say that he uses like his music video stuff as a crutch, but I think he does rely a lot on like atmosphere and music and setting. And so it's like I think his weakest points are, are like character development and story, honestly. <laughs> and it's funny now that we're talking about it. It kind of, and now that like reading these notes and hearing that he he liked a lot of improv on Bad Boys and clearly he's done other movies since, but just taking that all, when you're making a music video, to, it's really all about the technical aspects and then you have to let the person perform. And it's it's almost like in the positive, it works in music videos because when you have a talented artist, they just need to sing, but they're really telling the story with the music. And it feels like he can set up these great pictures and he's great with visuals. But maybe he gives people, I don't want to say too much leeway because it doesn't seem like that. I know he's kind of known for being a little intense on set. But I guess where I'm going with is he might leave too much up to his actors or actresses instead of like pushing them in a way. He's like, do what you think. Like, do what you like. It just feels like he may rely on them more instead of trying to get a specific thing out of them. I, I think I yeah it's you know I think it's like in the Rock he has Nick Cage just being Nick Cage and Sean Connery is just Sean Connery it's not like he's Ed Harris is Ed Harris else. yeah exactly Michael Bain is Michael Bain like they're all themselves basically and it's pretty much the same in Armageddon too like Bruce Willis is himself like all those guys just kind of you know Ben Affleck is himself basically he's a total asshole yeah they all. Um... Steve Buscemi playing like a creepy yeah, old man. It's just kind of like uh, you're. It's not like anyone's really acting. Like they're acting, but it's like they're acting versions of themselves. So I, I guess, and now we say it's so. It's probably more style a stylistic thing, and it's just so funny contrasting the Fincher. And it seems like Fincher, while he yeah. has all the technical same technical aspects, he is so much less interested in like spectacle and so much more interested in the actual story. And he's really about like diving into characters. That might be unfair. To I think Fincher, it's less like. It's so weird, you know, because it's like I, I kind of remember this period where like uh, Seven and had come out and like, uh, you know, Bad Boys had come out. And it was like these people were making transitions from MTV into like real movies. And it was kind of controversial. But Fincher is definitely much more exacting and obsessive and just like goes way deeper. And yeah, like you said, Bay's much more uh, theatrical, spectacle you know, casting a wider net, I think. Um, but it's, yeah, I think it's interesting they both came out of that same music video world. Spike Jones too, another one. 
it's so funny. I'm just thinking about the mid nineties and we should probably have this conversation at some point is when like the modern era switched. I probably started with Pulp Fiction and seven. I remember yeah. my parents' reactions to those films and they were mortified. They, they ended up liking, um, my mom like liked seven. She thought it was a really good, scary film, but she thought it was terrifying. Like unlike anything she'd ever seen, my dad liked Pulp Fiction, but he calls it an ugly movie. Like he, he doesn't like it, but he's seen it. He like understands why people likes it, but it's just so funny. And then you have Bay, who really was more in that 80 tradition, but he's like a little more, he's like an evolved 80s thing. Yeah. But his style, like where I'm going with this is like when I'm comparing to Tarantino and Fincher's, they all kind of came up at the same time. And Bay still making movies, but he's always been more, spec- as I said before, about spectacle. And it seems like these other guys, even though they're more controversial at the, be- the beginning of their career, they've had more legs. And I think it's because they... Uh, yeah, I also think legs. like Fincher, Tarantino, and I'd even throw in like Soderbergh, they've had more sort of like they've gone down different avenues and just had like more sort of like taken different paths in their careers where Michael Bay seems like he's still trying to perfect his like big action movie or something. You know, it's like, I don't feel like Michael Bay has sort of like gone away from what he started with and tried to do something new. Like he's still kind of doing the same stuff. I think you hit it on the, on the head before though. All of his movies have that T2 feel. I think he wants to have his yeah. T2 and he has great movies. I love the rock. I won't go through it. I love a lot of his movies, but he hasn't had his T2. And honestly, I think the problem is he doesn't, he's focusing on the wrong aspects and he keeps trying to go for spectacle. And he's got that down. He needs that script. He, he needs someone, I don't know what it is, but I don't know what the secret sauce is. If I did, I'd be making movies right now. But he needs a little more heart in his movies. And what's funny is the first Transformers, I think, was the best. And not the best movie, but the best combination of action and horror, which helped kind of elevate it and he just needs more heart I, I think a lot of his movies are kind of becoming i don't think to me they're becoming shallower and shallower and it's hard <laughs> as much as i love i love all those dumb stupid shallow things but it's hard for me to connect with mark Wahlberg. he says he's an inventor like 38 times in dark of, of what age of extinction or whatever it's like we get it we get it i he, mean for me his first four movies you know bad boys the rock armageddon pearl harbor is like still basically his best work, and it's not like wait. I, I think those are, hate Pearl Harbor. I'll have a Pearl Harbor. I hate movie. Pearl Harbor too. Uh-huh. And, uh, I dislike that movie. I, but I, even within those four movies, I think there's kind of an arc going on where like Bad Boys is this interesting start. I think The Rock is like almost a perfect action movie. Then Armageddon is like okay, this was a fun like overdone sort of action movie, and then Pearl Harbor is like okay, this was clearly you needed to make money and you profited off of, like, veterans and stuff. But it's like you still did your thing. You know, I don't know. The one thing I will say is I look at Pearl Harbor. I don't think it was quite a money grab. I think that was his attempt to do... Saving Private Ryan or something? Yeah, yes. And I definitely think he was trying to go for Saving Private Ryan. I think that was his stab at something deeper. And sadly, it came up shallower than anything else. And that's where I mean. That's like, true. When he, yeah. Like, that was him trying to give us something poignant and moving. And it was also... That was, like, that's the 10% Spielberg. Like, that's him trying to make a Spielberg movie, basically. Exactly. And the problem there is... <laughs> his problem in that film was he focused on these characters who weren't likable. He created this really weird love triangle. Oh, boy, a horrendous character. Oh, my gosh. It's a horrible movie. If you and really sit down and watch it just like it's god awful and what's funny and then after that you see it's like 
Bad Boys 2, The Island, Transformers, yeah. Transformers 2, 3, Pain and Grain, Transformers 4, Age of Extinction, Transformers 5, 6 Underground. Also, 6 Underground was awful. 13 Hours is a fine movie, but to me, that's a movie. I liked it. It could I know why it wasn't more successful. They I've not seen this. They need they thirteen hours needed a, a little more traditional arc. They, they try to make it too real to life. They made it in he made thirteen hours in the Black Hawk Down style, but as we were uh, saying before, that's not his craft, and it's not as effective as oh, um, not not Black Hawk Down Zero Dark Thirty is what I'm thinking of. Oh, okay, and. Or maybe actually combine those together. Probably he, those are the two movies he's going for. Sure, that, I mean, hey, that's James Cameron's wife. That's Tony Scott's brother. <laughs> it's still like it's still in the same neighborhood, you know. It's like yeah. what I, I think. My I think what I'm realizing about Michael Bay is like every movie is sort of like he's trying to be a different, like one of these directors he's really influenced by. Instead of just having his own voice and like just making his own, like I don't think he's ever transitioned out of that. Like. He's still trying to be James Cameron or Steven Spielberg or something where it's like, you need to be Michael Bay and make Michael Bay. Movie. And like, I don't know if that just means making Transformers movies, but like, I feel like there is a, I feel like he has the potential to still make great action movies. It's just like, he, he, like you said, he needs to actually find some heart or find the right script. You know, when he tries to go really dramatic, like a, in like in Pearl Harbor, like a Spielberg movie, it, it doesn't work. Cause like, like his weakest points are like the heart of a movie and like character building kind of. It's like, I mean, Pearl Harbor is an abomination, honestly, in my opinion. Uh, Armageddon at least is a tongue-in-cheek movie. I think the Pearl, Pearl Harbor is the second worst thing to ever happen to the actual physical Pearl Harbor. The first being the attack on Pearl Harbor. The second was the movie. Just totally cash-grabbing on the tragedy that happened there. That's a hot take there. It was, <laughs> I don't live in Pearl Harbor, but... It I is that movie. hot, <laughs> hot, hot garbage. Hot garbage. That's a hot, yeah, I agree with you. Um, sorry, that's a, that's a hot take on Pearl Harbor. But um, with Bay, I think I my fear is that Bay, like a true Bay film, may be The Island or Transformers: The Last Night. Like, yeah, I, like yeah. My hope is that Bad Boys. My hope is that like Bad Boys One. That's a real Bay film. The Rock. Like, I the want Rock, him to get yeah, back to those. That's like, to me, like I want you to go back there. Yeah. No CGI. Give me a tactile. So I remember seeing The Rock in theaters, and I can remember being like, okay, this guy's made Bad Boys and The Rock. And like at that moment in time, it felt like anything was possible for this guy in terms of like after The Rock, I just felt like this, like he was the top of his game. And uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, I know, I, like Armageddon was like a watchable movie, and I remember seeing that in theaters too and stuff, but it's just like, I don't, like, I don't remember really experiencing another director like the like you saw his first two movies like that and you were just that excited for him like that maybe like michael Cimino, maybe i don't yeah maybe, or like maybe like when zemeckis you know he made like back to the future too and you're like oh my god <laughs> the good news is bay's young like i think he's only 60s or 60s yeah. like he could still he's got he could have another 20 years ahead of him 30 if he's freaking clint eastwood i think you nailed it I think there's still a great Bay action movie out there. There could be multiple. I think he needs to really divest himself from Transformers. Uh, me, seriously, for both his sake and the franchises, it's... Yeah, I think he needs to move on from it. For it's a just stupid like, concept, which I like about robots who... Alien... Robots? Sentient, 
Well, it is when you think about it, it's AI. They're sentient AIs from another planet who, instead of just controlling our world, hide us cars so they can fight each other on random highways and in deserts. And I like it. And he somehow made that stupid. Like, he's made that premise dumber than it even sounds. With, like, King Arthur and magic knights and super swords and... Uh, I think he's overcomplicated it. Like, all you, you're transforming robots is, like, all you need. It's like, you don't need to go that much deeper with all the all stuff, but... <laughs> he, he did. He did. Um, all right. We went on a little bay tirade there. We'll, 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 we'll dive into him later. But let's bring it back to the film. Um... Did you want to tell, like, uh, do you think this is, like, Will Smith's best movie? No. Um, I thought he was, I still like him best in Independence Day. I thought that was his, like, most charismatic oh, wow. role. I really I like, like I really like I feel him. like Independence Day, it's gone through a lot of critical ups and downs, but I do think people are starting to, like, realize that that was, like, kind of a good movie in a weird way. It was, a, to me, it's a, it's a B movie. It's a really yeah, good B of, movie. It's a... Yeah. That's the way I look at it. it. To me, it's an incredible B movie. Roland Emmerich does not normally make great movies, but to me, that, that is just an incredible B horror movie, it, horror action, if you want to call it. But it's terrifying. It, it, the when they blow up the first three cities, it's terrifying. I remember being shocked in the theater. You hadn't seen that. They totally decimated. Like the I remember, world. That, yeah, that was yeah. There I remember gaps. seeing that on Independence Day. Yes. Um, I saw that movie in White Plains. Seth, it was the best experience of my life. Women were cheering the whole time for Will Smith. When he punched that alien, we got, you show him, Will. It was awesome. I remember that. Welcome to Earth. Yes, it was the most fun I've ever had in a theater. With it, it was honestly one of the most, and you know I love going to Marvel movies and everything. That, well, I will say Independence Day, the year it came out on Independence Day, that was a good in-theater experience. Very good in-theater experience. And Will Smith, at that point, was probably in that rare echelon of he was being, he was loved by almost every demographic. <laughs> like White people loved him from Fresh Prince. He, he was a rapper. He had, was very strong in the... Uh, AA I demo. think I might. Well, I might surprise you a little bit here, but I think I am. I'm gonna take Will Smith. This is close because I actually like him. Uh, this is my runner-up is Enemy of the State. I like him in Enemy of State. That's a rare. I think that's a Tony Scott movie that works. But I actually really like. I think he really works in Men in Black. I, I think like him, Men in Black. His chemistry with Tony. I also remember seeing that in the theaters, and like when he jumped off the bridge, and he was like, "Oh, it's just random black people in New York." I remember people were just screaming at that. <laughs> and uh, I think, like, I don't think Men in Black is as fun a movie with any other actor. I think that's kind of like his his perfect role, kind of in a weird way. I'll agree with you. I, I agree. I think that that's one of the roles that in any other one, that movie's only that movie with Will Smith as Jack. Yeah. And yeah, anyone else? Like, I could I could see any some other people in Enemy of the State. I could see Eddie Murphy in Bad Boys or something. You know, even Independence Day. Maybe Wesley Snipes pulls that off. <laughs> no, seriously. Like, there's a hundred. He's great in Hitch. Maybe, but I wouldn't say. I wouldn't put. The, I wouldn't say that's not the irreplaceable. Best like you could put Matthew McConaughey into Hitch, and it's still a movie. <laughs> yeah, but it's not. It's not Hitch. I love it's me not. some Hitch. Um, it's so funny. They talk about this in Rewatchables all the time. One of the biggest what ifs is him not being in Django, and it's I, I know, but it's I like, like his well. career. I I liked I Am Legend, but after I Am Legend, 
He's had a real rough run. Hancock yeah. sucked. Han- Hancock was a bad movie, an awful superhero movie. It was just like such a mishmash. Just uh, didn't work, didn't click. Men in Black 3 I actually liked. I, I won't give that as much a thing. After Earth, his name is Cypher Rage. Prob- ever- I haven't even seen it, but it was supposed to be one of the best I've seen After Earth. I've seen all the Shyamalan movies. What about this movie. Winner's Tale I haven't seen, but I heard that was stupid. Focus? Seen I've seen Focus. Have you seen Focus? No, but that's like Bill Simmons. He rants. He loves that movie, so <laughs> I might try I it. I would say it's not a good movie. But it's like, if you're in a weird Will Smith mood, it's worth watching. Because it's like, he almost gets back to that sort of 90s feel where he's like smooth and funny and slick. But it doesn't, it's just not the same thing. I don't know. It would be interesting if you watched that. I'll give it a whirl. It's a very very easy movie to watch. I'll say that about it. I'll I'll, I'll give it a whirl. And so I'm just looking, and I'm not, I'm really not trying to glory in this, but (laughs) Concussion was a good movie, but not, not great. Suicide Squad, he's good in, but the movie was awful. Collateral Beauty, I didn't see. Heard it was awful. Bright, he's fine to me. That movie is like popcorn. It's oh, I've I've seen the new Aladdin actually. Uh, What'd you think of that? (laughs) Uh, It's a thumbs down for me, Jake. (laughs) I saw it. I didn't love it. I. I really yeah, like. I, I could Bob. not understand why hip hop had entered like the old Arabian Nights or something. It was interesting. You can ask Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie is just <laughs> completely like fallen. Did you see? Did you ever see his movie Legend of the Sword? I've not. I've seen a lot of Guy Ritchie movies. I've not seen that one. It's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I want you to watch that. <laughs> I can. That movie's about two hours long. I can make fun of it for four. It is the dumbest. I have so many issues with that movie and with Guy Ritchie for it. We might I think I gave up on Guy Ritchie when he did uh, the rock and roll up movie or whatever. That movie was all. The only good thing in that movie is Tom Hardy. I remember leaving that movie being like, oh, I kind of yeah, like this a, guy. Yeah, and then yeah. a couple months and he's in Inception. And I was like, whoa. The only good thing in that film is is uh, Tom Hardy. I'll, I'll, like, I'll hear a hot take on Guy Ritchie real quick. He made two good movies, Lock, Stock, and Snatch, and he's been trying to copy Tarantino in a British way his entire career. And I, that's basically what I think of that guy. <laughs> I agree entirely, except I would go one step further. I would say he's only made one good movie, and he made it twice with Lock, Stock, <laughs> yeah. and Snatch. And he's yeah. been tr- uh, he, His recent movie, The Gentleman, is, is fine, but... It's not good. Like it's. I heard that that was a little better. I haven't seen that. It was a step in the right direction, but you'll see that movie and then you'll watch Lockstock. I actually did that. I saw that movie and then I saw Lockstock afterwards. And Liza watched. Uh, no, it was Snatch. And Liza and I watched Snatch, and we liked it. And after seeing Snatch, I was just thinking about it. I was like, the gentleman is good, but when compared to those. It feels like a young director copying Guy Ritchie. And if it were someone else, I would be like, whoa, this guy could be really good. But then when you see where he started and where he is 20 years later, it's a little disconcerting. It's like you have fallen. Like you're still not where you were. And that's one thing, you know, I think you can directly compare him to Tarantino because that's where he draws a lot of his stuff from. But it's like at least, you know, Tarantino made two early gangster movies, you know, three if you want to include Jackie Brown, I guess. But then it's like he went on to do all these other – and, like, I don't love all of the Tarantino movies, but clearly did other things, tried other things. And it's like, I, you know, Guy Ritchie needs to try some new things. <laughs> yeah, the uh, funny action poppy crime thriller is not really working yeah. for him anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
But before we go into final scores, Seth, sure. Do you where would you put Mike Lowry? Where would you put this combo in terms of uh, like ranking the buddy cops? We don't have all of them out. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, Mike, Marcus and Mike. Uh, to me, the ones that come to mind: Rush Hour. You got Jackie, Jackie Chan, Chris Tucker. Yeah, you have yeah, the Riggs famous, and Murtaugh. Yeah, Riggs and Murtaugh. Midnight Run, not my favorite, but you could always put yeah. those guys on there. I'm a big Midnight Run fan. Um, um, there's a there's a bunch, but any any that specifically to that like I really enjoy it. like Nolte and Murphy in 48 Hours to me is really fun. Just a great fun 90 minutes with like two guys. Like that's sort of like when I think of Buddy Cop, that's usually the first movie I think of. They, you know, very different characters, both really funny in their own ways, kind of. Um, and then I would say Riggs and Murtaugh, it, it's like, they're sort of the most, it's like, that's almost the James Bond of buddy cop franchises is like the lethal weapon thing. And I feel like Riggs and Murtaugh, it's like, it's each one is such a trope. It's like, you got the, the old guy that's kind of tired of all this. And you got the young buck who just wants to shoot everything. And it was just such a classic, like, combo. Always Sonny's take on Lethal Weapon. Do you watch Always Sonny's <laughs> yeah, it? Their examination of it is so funny. And it's, it's just incredible. Um, but I agree. It's one of the rare things. So, sorry. Old, quick, old high school football story. Our coach, uh, who Seth knows, was kind of a monster, like all high school football coaches. Coach Gar, right? Coach Gar, coaching the Garnets. No, uh, no <laughs> coincidence there. So there is this. We had one play. We had like our bread and butter play, running play, and there was a game where he ran it. I'm not joking. Thirteen times in a row, and that was the type of guy he was. So he was doing this once in practice, and we said something to him as players. And this is his reaction. And this is something he would say in practice too, as he would have just do the same thing. He would have us run the same thing, even when our practice defense or an opposing defense would stack the guys over it. And his whole thing was, it doesn't matter if you do your jobs and you do it right, this will work. And where I'm going with this is for me, lethal weapon, it is a play everyone saw coming but it was ran perfectly and it was like, yes, it was, it wasn't new, but it was done so well. It was perfect. Like it, it, it was like the perfect play. It's like a simple run. You're running to like a off B gap to the right side, but, and everyone knew it was coming. Like, but they do it so I, well. I, yeah. I think I, I agree with that. It's like, yeah, you see it coming, but because they do it the right way, you still kind of watch it. Uh, yeah. So like, also wait, the one thing I'll say, the beauty of that. I think that shouldn't be lost is the inversion from 48 hours of making the, and then also you, you're making both characters a little more likable. You're taking a little bit of edge off both of them. And whereas Nick Nolte, I think is the asshole in 48 hours. It's Mel Gibson in this one, but there's a sympathy to Mel Gibson. And 48 hours is much more of like a comedy and lethal weapon has a little more drama, especially with the Mel Gibson character. And I think there's a residual thing going on with Gibson coming off of the road warrior mm-hmm. and like people know he's this crazy kind of crazy guy. And I think that played into the, the Riggs character. For lethal yeah. Weapon. So yeah, I think all the ones you listed, yeah, I mean, I actually like Chan and um, Tucker. That's the, and Tucker. Yeah. Actually like they're a fun one too. They're up there to me. 
I don't know if these two necessarily I'll put them in that top five and that top four. I think because they've got the chemistry and they've had the legs. I would have, do you remember last Boy Scout? It was like Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans. Yes, I did. I, I don't think they had the chemistry that uh, they were looking for. <laughs> Although it was but better. It's like people were trying to do it left and right. It was better than the Bruce Willis Tracy Morgan film. Did you oh, see yeah. that? Yeah, that was a Kevin Smith movie, Cop Out, I That's, think. That, that was a cop out. Like, that was a yeah. self fulfilling prophecy that everyone just took the check and ran for that film. That did not work out well. Um, all right, let's go into final scores, my man. Okay. Or do you have anything else you want to talk about? I think we hit it all. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a good, like, for a debut, I think it's a good movie. But, like, compared to some of his other works, I don't think it's the best Michael Bay movie. Um I think Lawrence and Will Smith, that's great casting, whoever like really found those guys and got their chemistry together, because that really works in the movie. We sort of had her back and forth on Taya Leone. I think she, she makes it work. I think she could have been a little better, maybe. Um, I'm she, gonna there's go no, and get, it's weird, because there's no romantic tension with her in either of the leads, Yeah, and that's very... Yeah. It's just interesting. It's, it's not that there has to be. It certainly doesn't. Maybe that makes it a little more ahead of its time than, than we're giving it credit for, but at the same time, you want a little more pull with her. There's not just an. I would think. There. I would bet that there's a script where she has a closer relationship to the Mike Lowry character, but I, I can't. You know, it's like they don't really give him a. Even though he's this suave guy, they don't really give him a main like love interest. And so, it's weird. Yeah, it's like there's a single woman and a single man, and like the man's supposed to be really suave, and he never makes a move on her. I don't know. Right. So where most of the movie he's staying with Martin's wife. So that's anyway. true. Um, final score, I'm going to give it like a 7.2. Like, it's a movie everyone should watch. It's a memorable movie. It was an important time for, like, Will Smith and Martin and Michael Bay. And, like, uh, yeah. Like, I would, everyone, it's not a great movie, but, like, you should watch Bad Boys. Because, like, you should know where these people came from. Wait, did you say 7.2? <laughs> yeah. Is that I, your score? I'm 7.3. <laughs> oh, I was like seven three seven four, but I'll keep it seven three. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was funny. I, I remember like going into it. I remember being like, "Oh, this is like a high eighty, like a 90 for me," just because I watched it so much. I was wondering, yeah, it could have been, but then when I watched it, I was like, "Yeah, it's good." And to me, that a mid seventies by no means a bad score. Like that to me, that's yeah. a solid. This doesn't rank with the academic things, but to me, like I would put a, anything in the seventies to the low mid eighties as like a B in my mind. As in, the, it's better than just average. Like, it's above average. It's not quite A, but it's a very good movie. Yeah, I agree. I have kind of like a sliding scale. And for me, for all the reasons you said, it's the two leads are awesome. Uh, Bay is probably doing, his sadly, his best work with his first movie. (laughs) Uh, Taya Leone, I like, but I definitely see maybe not hitting all the corners that she should. And then, yeah, the action, I'm going to have a hard time articulating this I, I probably just it's a wasted effort because you did a good job speaking of it before. The action is stylish, but there's actually not much happening because there's so much slow motion. And it's really like the scenes they focus on will be one slow motion of a guy diving and shooting, and that looks cool. And then it cuts to this to the actual rest of the scene and it's blurry. It's like people you just see people shooting, you don't know what they're shooting at, you see like bullets flying everywhere. 
and it, and, yeah. it, and it works it's in a less, sense that it's like a, yeah, it's you're like less aware of what's going on. Yeah, like if you watch a James Cameron or a Michael Mann action sequence, like you kind of you have this awareness of like where everyone is and what's happening, and I, you don't really get that with Michael Bay. And I think it's important. I think the best action scenes, scenes, scenes that you have that awareness because it helps raise the stakes, or you're always aware of the stakes. And I think it's yeah, and the tension kind of, of like what's coming around that corner. Where's this guy shooting? And it's like you kind of like you're knowing what's happening. Whereas, like, with Bay, it's more like, I see cars driving fast. I see <laughs> things blowing up. You know, it's like, I don't really know where it's coming from. I think there's, like, five or six scenes, and it's this, like, wide panorama shot of, like, anywhere from five to 20 villains just opening machine gun fire on them. <laughs> and, and, and it looks really cool, but then it cuts to the – there's not that scene showing the bad guys and the good yeah. guys in the same frame. And then it exactly. cuts to the good guys, yeah. and there's all these bullets flying over them. But it's weird, like, you don't see who's firing at them. It just kind of gives this disconnect. And one of the things, kind of now we're talking about it, it reminds me of Shyamalan in Glass, when he had all these great actors, but never put them on the same screen. It's like the problem with these action scenes is there's all this great action, but it's so compartmentalized. And I think what he's trying to go for is you don't know what's going to happen, but it's like, yeah, it's not it's working a few too many cuts. It's like he's trying to kind of do that Tony Scott thing, but Tony Scott is a much different way of, like, doing that kind of stuff. Um <laughs> Tony Scott, I feel like when he does it, it's methodical and almost surgical. He has a reason for each shot, and for Michael Bay, yeah, sometimes, and for all it, those cuts and everything, yeah. And for Bay, it seems like it's more so he's trying to fit it into this mold. Like he wants, he wants to be like Tony Scott, but he doesn't understand the formula, so it's more like exactly. maybe derivative to word. <laughs> yeah, where it's like he's trying to do that same pace and and style and everything, but it's like he's not getting the, the same amount of information into each shot that Tony Scott would and stuff. But it's like, you know, it's all these different styles. It's funny we're talking about all these people. It's like, I feel like James Cameron has a little bit slower pace than Tony Scott, but much more like, much better at, at letting the viewer enjoy everything that takes place. And then like Michael Mann, I feel like is one of the best at like, especially shooting sequences. You know, there's parts in Last of the Mohicans where like Indians will raid like an English uh, traveling group. And like, you'll be able to see the, the way the Indians would surround a wagon like that. And then, or like in Heat, where it's like they're coming out of the bank, you know which directions the cops are shooting and you know which directions the villains are shooting. And it's not like you're not confused about what's happening in the scene. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, again, this is Michael Bay's first movie. He's trying to do a lot, obviously. And so it's like you're not going to get A pluses around the board. Yeah. True. And he corrects a lot of these mistakes by The Rock. Like in yeah, The Rock, exactly. especially yeah. in the action scenes. To me, it's a big jump. Maybe we should do that movie next time. Oh, that's another conversation. I'd always, I'd always be up for The Rock. Um, but, yeah, I mean, to, for Bad Boys, it's like, you know, it, I think it's just like he shows a potential he doesn't quite reach. It's sort of like the, the way you're felt with, with his career. Whereas, like, early on he showed maybe he could be, like, the next James Cameron or Tony Scott or something, but he kind of just... He never, I don't know. I mean, he's had huge movies, but I just don't feel like he turned out the way we all projected him to. No, I feel like there's another director we talked about recently. I can't think of the sports analogy, and I won't, because I feel like I'm probably getting tiresome, but uh, you nailed it. <laughs> it, it. It was disappointing to see him come out so strong, and then it's he's been so commercially successful. It's one of the reasons why it's hard to be like, I don't mean to be coming down on him. He has been very commercially successful. I guess it's, I don't expect him to make a save in private Ryan. And I don't expect him to be making necessarily 
a T2, like but yeah. at the same time, I do expect better than Transformers 2 through 5. Like that. <laughs> I agree. I think that's totally fair. I, 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 think, I expect better than Pain and Game. Yeah, when, when you're making movies that are dumber than John from Mars or Red, whatever, like, and that movie, I don't mean to be bashing that movie, but that's one of the biggest flops of all time. It's it's just a little frustrating, like as a fan of both movies and the content, like the actual uh, IP that he's that he's working on when it's like Transformers and stuff from his childhood. But that's enough. I like Betty. I like this movie. I want to see him make his next Bad Boys, but I don't mean like Bad Boys Four. I want him to make. I want him to do something original. No aliens. No sci-fi. No juiced up weird killers who you're trying to make funny in like pain and gain give me a good solid like action crime bank robbery thriller that's all i need just that'd be good lower Do the a heist st- movie lower yeah. the stakes keep it on the ground and keep the action like do that do that for me and then you can earn your way into my good graces i agree i i hope that happens more <laughs> all right uh, i think that does it for me seth anything else you want to say uh, I think that's all. Goodbye, people. Bye, people.